0: If you're, if you're if you if you think Phil Longo is just going to say, forget it, we're throwing the ball every play, you're out of your mind.
1: Bird right, eighteen premium diesel. Joe Montana, Buster Douglas, John Elway, John Elway. Daisy right, sewing blitz right, Travolta right, pumpkin left, alert Charlotte left, on one. Bunch right,
2: Zach. We'll go fifteen tips, scissors, cannon to three hundred jet and stick. Victory is a great play call.
0: All right, welcome back. Another episode of the Play Callers Club. Yesterday, we had a little preview for you of some of our favorite offenses to look forward to in 2023. We hit Michigan, Clemson, and USC, some of the Blue Bloods. Now we're coming back with maybe not quite as uh, historic of programs, but offenses we are fired up to check out nonetheless. So we've got Wisconsin. We've got Florida State. We've got Washington, and then we'll we'll sprinkle in a little Tennessee at the end as well. So you're going to get your fix of offensive styles, you know, great coaching, high-powered attacks, and all and all that. But Jake, you're going to kick us off with maybe our favorite storyline of the off season heading into this year. What's going on at Wisconsin? Fill us in, baby.
2: Man, one that if you would have told me last November that I would be super intrigued by Wisconsin and what they were doing. I would have thought you were absolutely insane, but I think they made two of not just the most intriguing, but I think best hires um, in the off season one hiring Luke Fickle. I just think, I mean, I think to pull him away from Cincinnati was impressive. I think he was pretty heavily rumored to be involved for that Notre Dame job um, whenever Brian Kelly left and, I don't know what the story was. I don't know if he turned it down or if they just really liked Marcus Freeman. But, I mean, obviously they like Marcus Freeman, but, I mean, Luke Fickle was the head coach and Marcus Freeman was the defensive coordinator, obviously, for a reason. Um, But, I mean, just with what Luke Fickle's done over there at Cincinnati, I think everybody knew, okay, if we can get this guy. I mean, Wisconsin, I wouldn't say a top, you know, a powerhouse by any means, but a school with some true talent with good resources, you know, this guy could be pretty dangerous. Um, add to that Phil Longo, who literally told Mac Brown, there's not a lot of jobs, you know, when he took the job in North Carolina, there's not a lot of jobs that I'm leaving this job for. Right. And he left a good job in North Carolina with a, you know, projected top five quarterback next year. And that's not top five, at the quarterback position. That's like top 5 overall pick with Drake May at North Carolina. Um he just said, you know, one of his dreams is to work with Luke fickle Um you know, obviously those guys I think get along together great. I think they're going to be a great fit together. Just kind of looking back at Phil Longo at North Carolina. They in his time there, they ranked first in the ACC in passing yards, passing touchdowns, passer rating, rushing yards and total offense. And wow. they were top five in all Power Five schools in all of those categories. So you know you hear Phil Longo, you you know you see his, if you were to type in his name, air raid's going to pop up next to him. But then all obviously you see, you know the rushing yards and the total offense, and you're like, okay, this guy's got a pretty balanced attack. Um, so I'm extremely intrigued by what he's going to bring just with the roster they have. I think that's kind of everybody's big question. You're you're taking. This Wisconsin offense that's been known, you know, for a power running game, you know, downhill, physical at the line of scrimmage. You know, we play 10 to 3 games to a Phil Longo offense that is going to be throwing, you know, 45, 50 points at you, you know, throwing the ball all over the field. You probably had some Wisconsin fans that were even a little bit like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Right. And so I, think, yeah. I think the biggest question is, How do you take, and a little bit, um, like we talked about yesterday with the whole USC type transition of, you know, having to kind of fit guys into a system year one that maybe aren't really meant for it. But I think they kind of have a good balance of guys that are coming back, transfers that they brought in from the transfer portal, which I think is kind of the beauty of, you know, college football today. It's got its flaws, but I think you're able to bring in guys that really fit that system that maybe are, you know, one or two year rentals or whatever, but can kind of transition you into, okay, now we can start really recruiting the guys that we want. So starting with, you know, quarterback Tanner Mordecai coming from SMU, been in a very similar system, has thrown for like over 7,000 yards and 70 touchdowns in his past two years um, as a quarterback. So that's, you know, if you're looking at a Phil Longo type offense, those are the kind of numbers that you're expecting to see. They've got Brett, Braylon Allen at running back coming back from Wisconsin. Tell you, a absolute <laughs> unit. <at Don't>. Rock. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember how tall he was, but the dude weighs like two thirty-five, and that has to be just straight muscle. But can also outrun you in the open field. Like the dude can do everything, and he's been in college for two years, and he's nineteen years old. Crazy, like, And he's ran. I think he's ran for like twelve hundred plus the past two years. And I think, I think he put a tweet out at one to, at one point when Phil Longo got hired and was like, I'm ready to be done with these nine man boxes. <laughs> like, He's, dude <laughs> he could not be. And I think he, you know, he gets it right. Like he knows a Phil Longo offense isn't just, you know, we're going to sling the ball all over the yard. It's, you know, I'm still going to get my touches, but we're going to be so versatile that it's not where it's just on me to, you know, and the dude was running for over five yards per carry against nine-man boxes and teams that knew that he was going to get the ball, I can only imagine, you know, what Phil Long was going to do with them. They bring back their top three receivers from last year, but they also brought in some pretty intriguing transfers. They got C.J. Williams um, coming from USC, who's, you know, was a top recruit, supposed to be a dude. Um, you know, they've had – they've raved about him in the spring, kind of going to be their big play um over the top top guy, and they got Will Pauling, who they brought in from Cincinnati and seems like Luke Fickle kind of was very selective about a couple guys that he brought from Cincinnati. It wasn't like a complete overhaul of you know I think it was a little bit different of the you know oklahoma to u s c transition with Lincoln Riley, where it was like I've like got all these super talented kids that I can bring over to u s c It's like you know it's, Wisconsin's definitely a step up from Cincinnati. I mean you're going from group of five to power five school. I mean, I know obviously Cincinnati's power five now, but definitely didn't have as much talent there. So very selective about, you know, what guy you know, guys that either played or had, you know, some potential. Um, so I think that's gonna be a guy that can be extremely effective in the passing game for them. Tight end is gonna be kind of tied in by committee. Um, with Longo, that's kinda what his history's been at North Carolina, just having a bunch of guys you know, that can got different skill sets, more, you know, some guys are more blocking type. Some guys are more receiving type. Some guys are more of the hybrid that can do a little bit of both. So expect to see, you know, multiple guys out there. And then offensive line, they returned four guys, and then they brought in Cincinnati's center, um, who was um, All-American Athletic Conference in that year, not this past year, but the year before um, on the playoff team. He was out, I think, all of last season with injury. Um, but coming back healthy, I think you're going to see a pretty, pretty stout group up front. I mean, I think that's one thing that you always can count on, um, at Wisconsin is, you know, that they're going to have some dudes up front. So really excited to see just overall kind of what they can bring to the table. Um, it was kind of funny reading up on them a little bit because their fans, you know, You hear all these positive things about Phil Longo, all the guys they're bringing in, and then the offense struggled a little bit in the spring game. I think they turned the ball over, like the first team offense turned the ball over like four times or something like that. And so, a little bit side note, kind of wanted to have a little, you know, discussion with y'all here on, as offensive coaches, you know, I don't know at y'all's school if y'all are doing spring games or not, but... Just in the spring in general, fall camp, when you've been going against the same defense the whole time, and then you get to this spring game, it's going to be nationally or locally televised, but everybody's going to be able to watch it. You know that every team's going to be watching to see what you do, especially as a new coordinator. And so you kind of try to pull back and simplify a little bit against a defense that's been watching you for three weeks straight. Is there really any chance for an offense to be successful in a spring game? And is any, <laughs> is any fan ever going to be happy with what they see from an offense in a spring game?
0: Oof. Listen, spring game, in my opinion, should be the, the PR component of what you did in the spring. Everybody should kind of feel good about it. I think you can have a closed scrimmage where you kind of like, like really let it rip on both sides of the ball, and like that's when guys are really fighting it out for, um, you know, fighting it out for positions and and opportunities and different things like that. People kind of got on Colorado and and Dion for their spring game being kind of a joke, but my whole thing is like, it'd be one thing if you were playing a spring game against another opponent, but I just think like by the by, the end of that third week or fourth week or whatever, yeah, everybody's so familiar with what each other are doing that it does kind of look – everything does look kind of gobbled up, I think, in a spring game. Or the defense struggles so much that it's just like people getting gashed. Yeah. So I think, I think the way – I think it's really on a head coach to set the spring game up in a way that you're able to walk away from it feeling good about where you're at but have you got to answer those questions but I think you can answer them in a closed door scrimmage in the indoor where you're getting after it and guys are earning positions.
2: Yeah, I just I kind of think back to that year that you know Bryce Young won the Heisman. I'm pretty sure he had one of the worst spring games like across the country and everybody was like this guy Everybody's is freaking just, out. It's just not it. And then I mean goes out and wins the Heisman. I just it's hard, it's a hard situation to be in, you know, thinking back as a quarterback. And then, you know, also as a play caller and as a head coach, it's like, you want to put it out there for your fans and you want them to, you know, it's like, you got all these guys that are reading message boards every single day and they're like, okay, this is the guy, he's going to be the dude. And then you go watch and you got the most vanilla bland offense of all time out there. And you're like, hmm, well, this coach that's supposed to, you know, revitalize us or whatever is boring. And then our quarterback that we brought in stinks. So, I, just, I don't know. I think, the, I think the whole thing is just
1: yeah, way overblown. The, the, the spring games should look more like the Pro Bowl games we had back in February. Like, it should be more <laughs> team activities, do some fun stuff, you know, the... The fastest player on the football, football team, exactly. <laughs> the fastest player on the football team go against the fastest player in student body, you know things of that nature. Water Pro Bowl should be more like a spring game, so that's a different conversation for a different day. Oh, so wow! This hot is just, this hot is just, take from Rashad there. It should just trade, <laughs> <laughs> like trade trade strategies here, and, and I think both both sides would be happy. But um, speaking of Wisconsin, as you were mentioning earlier. I'm very intrigued by their offense and see how much of an overhaul they'll do. And I have a, I have a question to throw out to you guys uh, at the, at the end of my at the end of my like my thought uh, part number one. I'm intrigued because back in the late '90s into the early 2000s, uh, Nebraska, you know, with uh, in the in the '80s and '90s, they had Coach Tom Osborne, Hall of Fame coach, you know, running triple option, right? Then they had Frank Solich, who kind of ran a little bit of that, but heavy heavy run game still. Then they transitioned from Frank Solich to uh, Bill Callahan, who was like the mm-hmm. Raiders, like O line coach, West Coast offense guy. So when I first heard about this uh, this uh, uh, job that, I think, that Phil Longo got going from North Carolina going to Wisconsin, my first thought was Nebraska. And I was like, oh man, that first year when they saw Bill Callahan, even at his very first play that season, move to Nebraska, um, they, they ran like they, they put, they ran, they, they line up in, in a triple option formation, then it ran like, uh, like why stick out of it just to do like a <laughs> just do like a, a west coast a west coast confer- a west coast offense like concept out of it, but I'm intrigued to see how they transition right because they still have that power power run game offense so I'm intrigued to see what they do to transition if they go like full transition like what Nebraska did or they kind of like piecemeal it throughout the season kind of figure it out yeah I think um,
2: I mean just kind of reading up on what they said, and just thinking about the personnel that they have, you would think it would kind of be a beginning of the year, you know, lean heavily on that run game. I mean, Longo said in his press conferences and stuff, he's like, we, we've we got two dudes on this team, and they they play running back. Right, like, right. And right. we can't get away from, you know, what, what our guys do really well, what they know. And if you also look at their schedule, I mean, they don't – there's teams that are going to be a challenge for them but their non-conference schedule is virtually nothing and then they play ohio state on october 28th like that's the game that they're you know really gearing up for and obviously ohio state's no joke that's going to be you know ohio state's going to be probably heavily favored in that game but i mean up until then there's plenty of time to build you know build confidence get some wins start feeling pretty good about yourself So I, I don't know, it should be an interesting season, but I think, you know, they'll really rely heavily on the run game early in the year. Mm -hmm. I think with a lot of the concepts that they do on offense, it's a lot of timing, you know, zone type routes where guys are having to, you know, fit into zones, read coverage. Um, So I think it'll take a little bit of time for the guys to get used to each other, but luckily they've got teams that they can kind of go through those growing pains against and, kind of feel okay about it um to kind of dive back into phil long a little bit just a little bit about his history it was fun reading up on him just because of the relationship to mike leach but didn't play for mike leach didn't really know mike leach he was right. a high school football coach drove 11 hours back in like 1996 to listen to mike leach speak at a clinic oh yeah and listened to him talk. Didn't have the money to stay in a hotel room, so he like stay was staying in his truck. Um, went and, went to introduce himself after, and of course, in you know Mike Leach fashion, wasn't going to turn anybody away. Starts talking to the dude. Well, all of a sudden they end up talking football, you know, all night long. Really got to know him. Didn't give him too many of the Mike Leach secrets um, right away, but you know Mike Leach kind of in some interviews just said. You know, Phil Longo just kept kind of pushing, pressing as their relationship grew, and then that's where um, their relationship really formed. And so, you know, with the passing of Mike, Mike Leach this past year, I think it really hit Phil Longo hard. He said, you know, we talked every week, every month, or especially in the off season. We had a lot of conversations. And then he kind of joked because he said Cliff was his other person that he talked to, and Cliff was just off doing whatever out in Taiwan. So <laughs> he was kind of lonely. He, he, had a, he, he had a pretty lonely off season, um, which was probably good, you know, being at a new school, kind of getting used to everything over there at Wisconsin. Um, but it was funny because I think when you watch his offense, you do see differences from what you see from a typical Mike Leach offense. And he told a story about Mike Leach called him, I think, when he was at Washington State, um, and he said, Hey, I need you to install uh, the shovel draw for my offensive coaches. He's like, well, you just want me to like, you know, talk through it or whatever. He was like, well, no, I want you to get on the phone and install it because I haven't ran in like seven years. And I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely kind of like, um, you know, Dan talked about yesterday with the air raid plus, I think he's definitely, um, he's definitely, you see a lot more of that plus, um, yeah, in his offense and i think you know kind of what he his philosophy is you know play fast play instinctive and next play always and he believes his players can't be instinctive if they're you know having to learn a ton of plays which is you know varies from offense to offense some coaches you know like to have a lot of plays and a lot of options he's he said they literally cut their game plan to 26 plays, and it's going to be those 26. Now it can be in different formations, whatnot, but right. they're going to have 26 plays that they go into a game with, and if they want to add a play, that means they're removing a play, mm-hmm. you know, yep. from from the list. And so he he believes that the offense is constantly improving himself because if it's a good enough to play to get in, it means they're taking one out that wasn't, you know, wasn't good enough. So they're constantly um trying to prove that. And he said, the more, um, the more you add, the more you're watering down, how effective you can be at everything else. So that's kind of his philosophy of, if, if we're adding too much, we're taking away, you know, how fast and how instinctive um, our guys can really play. So I thought that was really interesting. And kind of another note um, that I just had about him is I think, you know, you watch his past couple of years at Ole Miss and North Carolina, you talk about a quarterback in Sam Howell, who was, you know, more of a – was a good runner, but more of a true passer, was, you know, truly throwing the ball all over the place. And then you go to Drake May last year and you saw, you know, they were doing a a little bit more of, you know, 12 personnel, um, you know, run game, read option type stuff with Drake May, quarterback draw with him. Because he is – I mean, he's a very – you know I don't know if I'd label him as like a true dual threat but he's I mean he's a versatile quarterback he can there's plenty of times that he took off and he's running for 20 30 yards down the field um and he, it's definitely something you got to account for as a defense and so what's impressive about him is you you know I turn on the film and I'm writing all these notes down about you know what the offense looks like well then I turn on another game and it looks completely different Yeah. and then I turn on another game later in the season and it looks completely different again I'm like okay, whoa, like this guy doesn't just change his offense from year to year to fit, which I think is awesome. He, he'll adapt and he'll fit his offense to, you know, what his quarterback, what his playmakers are going to look like. And that's why I think we'll see more of that run game to start the year. But maybe by the end of the year, I mean, you got a dude Tanner Mordecai back there who's going to distribute it to the playmakers. So, I mean, let that guy throw the rock around. Um, but then also from week to week, and it's not so much of, oh, I just want to go run this stuff this week. It's, you know, what is the defense going to give us? And so I was watching the Notre Dame game, you know, when he was at North Carolina last year, and Notre Dame, ton of zone. So you saw they were running more of your curl routes, your sit routes, your stop routes, your spot routes, all that kind of stuff, just, you know, guys finding the zones. And then I turn on the Virginia game expecting to see the same things, and I'm seeing mesh and crossers mm-hmm. and levels and go routes, you know, galore. And, guys never stopping, you know, never. I mean, they knew that we're just going to get man to man coverage most of this game. So, you know, there's no reason for our guy to run a stop route because you know, then you're just colliding with the DB. And so I was just extremely impressed with one that the players are able to adapt to that week to week. Like you, you watch, you watch the players. There are never, there's never two guys running in the same spot. The spacing I mean, his, his whole mindset is I want to use every single part of the field. There's no reason, whether it's running the ball, passing the ball, we need to use every single inch of this field. And so, I mean, they don't do like the super wide uh, splits or anything. I mean, they will at times, but I just think the spacing that their guys have on their routes is extremely impressive, especially when you're looking at completely different concepts from week to week. Um, So I think, Kind of when you just combine all of that together with the roster that, you know, Wisconsin has also combine that with, like I said, their schedule's not really that tough going into next year. Another Jake's take, two episodes in a row. I've got Wisconsin winning the Big Ten West this year. I'm not going to say that they're going to win the Big Ten. You know, you still got to go play Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State in that championship game, but. I mean, the only team of those three that they have to play from the East is Ohio State during That's the right. regular season. So you avoid Michigan, you avoid Penn State. I think – I don't see any reason that they should lose a game in the West. They have an easy non-conference schedule. So, I mean, I'm looking at 10-plus wins pretty easily, if not 11 or 12. for them. I think
1: Ooh.
2: I think it is a tough transition. But like we said, they've got the time to, you know – really kind of build that camaraderie as a team. And I think bringing in a guy like Tanner Mordecai, it's like, yeah, he's a new quarterback, but he's also, you know, he's been around for a little oh, while. Yeah. He's, he's, he's seen it. And he, and just listening to some of his interviews that he had, he was like, yeah, I got in and I was quiet. I, I learned the offense. I built everybody's trust. And then, you know, now we're in spring ball. And now like, I'm the dude, like, I know I'm the dude, like everybody's going to listen to me, but I, he's not one of those guys that just came in and was like, oh yeah, I'm, I did this, this, and this, you should respect me. Like he built that trust with those players. And I just think the foundation they've got, Luke Fickle, Fickle, Phil Longo, the core team that they had there, plus the transfers. I just, I I don't see how, you know, in a pretty easy division that they're in, that there's no reason they shouldn't win Big Ten West this year. It's a big take. See, sometimes I think it's
0: unhelpful that the air raid kind of tag or moniker follows Mm -hmm. someone like Phil Longo around, or even just a lot of these guys. Like it's, it's reductive to say he runs the air raid because it's, it's not just the air raid, you know? And I think sometimes we get in our minds like, Oh, he's going to throw it 70 times a game. If you go back and watch 2020 UNC, they had two guys rush for over 1,100 yards. Mm-hmm. Michael Carter and Javante Williams. Javante Williams, yeah, also two playing in the league. Yeah, two a dudes dude, doing really well in the league. Two dudes who yeah. oh, yeah. are ball players, and they ran the ball so effectively. For those of you at home, when I say they both like you, have in order to have two guys rush for over 1,100 yards, that means that they're both averaging a lot of yards per carry. Listen to this: Michael Carter that year averaged eight yards per carry. That is ridiculous. <laughs> And then you're like, okay, maybe Javante Williams is the plugger. Like he had a couple fewer yards, seven point three yards per carry. So, if if you're if you if you think Phil Longo is just going to say, forget it, we're throwing the ball every play, you're out of your mind. Like this guy runs counter, he runs a ton of great zone stuff, split zone. uh, You know, he protects everything with the quarterback. I think the quarterback has a lot of responsibility. Jake mentioned last week or yesterday in our episode the gift route, being able to step out of a run scheme and throw a, a hitch just to take free yardage. They're going to do that kind of stuff. They're going to work space. If you load up the box, they're going to throw the rock. But if he has Braylon Allen, uh, uh, Braylon Allen and Chesma Lucy in that backfield, you better believe they're running the rock. And when That's they had fun. Javante Williams and Michael Carter at UNC, they ran all over people. And a lot of times, both of those guys are in the backfield at the same time. So I wouldn't be surprised to see 21 personnel from Wisconsin. It's just going to look different. Last year, Mm -hmm. it was 21 personnel with a fullback and a tight end and a tailback. This year, it's probably 21 personnel with two running backs, tailbacks, and an H-back.
2: But, I mean... And the way way they use their H-back in the run game... It's beautiful. It's it's beautiful. I mean, they've split flow... Arc arrow yep. they route. Do I mean, they, they do it all. They do it all. And it's just you really it you really don't know. Like you you think you're gonna guess and you're like I got it. I know what they're yep. gonna run here. Yeah. And then our or they're running um you know guard h back counter. Yeah. Whatever. It's I mean yeah the way he he uses that guy that's it's truly one of their you know I think more important positions on their offense. um So yeah, it's gonna be fun to watch that offense. Phil is
0: Phil is a football coach's football coach, man. Like you you talked to Phil Longo, that dude loves football. Like just period. I mean, I love that story you told Jake. He said he said his
2: playbook at home is a lot (laughs) different than the playbook that he brings to work. That dude dude knows
0: football, period. He just simplifies it, which is awesome. So all right, Rashad, do you wanna jump in on uh, on our 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 boys in uh, Tallahassee, Florida?
1: Yeah, before I, before I jump in, a couple points about Phil Longo in Wisconsin. Uh, point number one, he's a Jersey guy. You know, <laughs> <I> love it. <laughs> the Jersey guy. You know, played football at uh, East Schausberg. They transferred over to Ro- Rowan. You know, Rowan's a South Jersey school, so got special place in my heart for him. Part two, Danny mentioned back in UN back in UNC's offense back in 2020. Um, that year, they had a game versus Miami. I remember watching that game. I remember my dad called me a few days about it later because he's a big run offense guy. And one run, and um, Michael Carter had about 300 yards rushing, and Devontae Williams had 200 yards rushing. One of them had 24 carries, everyone had 25 carries. So, a 55 carry offense. So, Wisconsin fans, you're in a good place. You have a yeah, coach, right. uh, you have a, co- <laughs> a air raid coach who's going to give his running backs 20 carries each in a game. No doubt. So, good no spot, guys. Yeah, yeah no, so, I think I think yeah, the right cheeseheads
2: on. are going to be happy up there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I You'll run the ball. just, just enough. Just enough. They're going to be, Hey, when, when it's third quarter and in third quarter, jump arounds going on, they're going to be very happy with the score at that, at that time. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So FSU, let's do it. So we got time. Here we we, go. We got the Knowles. It seems like the, are the Knowles back, you know, the the Knowles, you know, Jimbo left, you know, a few years ago and towards the end of his uh, tenure there, things weren't really going well. That's why he kind of bolted to bolted to A&M. And, uh, had a Willie Taggart for a couple years and now they have Mike Norvell. So Mike Norvell's head into his fourth year there. They went 10 and three last year and in the season, uh ranked number uh, 10 in the nation. Um, they are, they have a lot of offensive firepower coming back this year. I would like to say that this is Mike Norvell's probably most talented team he had um, scheme wise, very similar to what he did at Memphis, but now he has Four or five star recruits and guys who are like in year four, year three, year four of his offense, like doing it now. So it's pretty optimized when it comes to executing his concepts. So they have a receiver named Johnny Wilson. He is shifty. He ended the year in the Cheez It Bowl versus Oklahoma. He had two hundred yards receiving, eight catches. It was one of those games that was you know for all the all the Knowles fans, similar to like Peter Wark. He's definitely not Peter work uh Knowles fans but uh he he's he's pretty he's pretty dang good um he ranked third in the nation last year with 22 uh 22 20 plus yard catches so the guy's very dynamic and he's um, huge how how tall is he Johnny Wilson Oh, like oh six know.
0: isn't he like six seven or something the Johnny Wilson six seven
1: he's a, or something like that check I check, check out the stats on that one. Benjamin yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Calvin Benjamin. Oh, he was he was pretty yeah he was pretty good too. He is Johnny Wilson, 6'7", oh, Yeah, seven. At, I I can I would not want to guard that guy. I would want no, no parts of it's that. It's a big can dude right there. Yeah, because most corners and are five eight five nine. So it's like good luck against <laughs> that. Yeah, that's a matchup nightmare. Then then you know it was wild about that they had a they have a guy coming in this year uh, Keon Coleman. He's six four. Okay. He, played in, he played in Michigan State. So you have a 6'4 guy, Keon Coleman. you have Johnny Wilson? Yeah, dude. I think, team. I think
2: AM was fighting
1: for him and he picked Florida State and I was pretty disappointed. I looked into that dude he is good. Yeah. yeah he yeah, he's he's uh he, he he was he did pretty well for Michigan State, so him going to Florida State is going to be better mm-hmm. for better for him offensively. Um then you have Winston Winston Wright, who was a – West Virginia transfer, you know, I I hate seeing that, but want him to do well, right? So last year he was injured, so he's healthy this year, and he's back. Um, They had a pretty good running attack. They averaged about 217 yards um, per game, and their running back, he is the man, Trey Benson. He's 6'2", 214, but when he goes to camp, probably closer to 220 um, he's elusive and he is fast for a guy that size. A lot of straight line speed, which is you don't see a lot of that for a guy of his size. Um they have a really cool tight end named uh Bell, South Carolina transfer. He ran a ball for mm-hmm. like lineup at in a Wildcat for them. He will block, he will catch. Um he's a do-it-all guy, so he's a really unique gadget they have for them. he's a big guy as well. Um their O line is led by uh by Robert Scott. He's a 6'6. 304. The reason why I keep mentioning these guys height and size, my point is the crescendo I'm hitting is at the very end you're gonna see how they have all these big people running a very quick, efficient offense, which is mm-hmm. which is scary. You know, that's that's that shouldn't be a lot of football, but they're doing it right. <laughs> they have an offense that's probably built for the wing T, shall to wing or wing T peeps, built for a wing T, built for for a power eye. But they're spreading people out, and they're just destroying teams, right? So um, they have uh, Jordan Travis, their quarterback, entering his fifth season um, at FSU. Last year, he threw for 24 touchdowns and five interceptions. And he's a few touchdowns away from um, beating the total touchdown record from – Chris uh he he'll be he's right now he's fourth so he's behind Chris Chris Winky, behind Chris Ricks, who felt like he was in college football for like seven, eight years. Forever <laughs> He he had that uh he was he was an original super senior. He seemed like he never graduated. Um then uh he and, and uh James James is number one right now when it comes to total touchdowns as a quarterback and Jordan Travis will probably beat that record by like game four. So he's a dark horse Heisman favorite. Um so their offense, it's special. So Michael Ravel before coming to uh, to FSU he was at Memphis and he was at Arizona State beforehand. Um, so when he came over from uh, when he came over from Memphis he brought Kelly the Kenny Dillingham with him. to Kenny moved moved around a little bit now Kenny's with Arizona State and uh, they have a they had just a really good system at Memphis which is how they ran their offense very tempo based very quick. Um, they're going to do a lot of uh, pass game wise you're going to see. Uh, formation in the boundary with screens. Yep. You're going to see play action with flood. You're going to see some wide splits with wide receivers uh, lining outside the numbers. Um, running Run game-wise, power read with inside zone with the running back. And if you guys can get a chance, definitely watch that Florida State versus Florida game. It was like a dog fight, And just seeing the tracks that, um, that the running back, Troy Benson, would take when it comes to running inside zone was just... Masterclass and just running the right tracks, like running the right lanes, and just he would see the a small crease and just and just get upfield. It was beautiful to see. Um, what I liked the most about their offense was Jordan Travis. He does a great job of throwing with anticipation. Um, they do uh, the air raid concepts right with their four verts, and what he would do, which I love, he he was consistently hit the tight end in four verts, and he always find them. It was beautiful to see. Um, and he will hit him like on the under. He'll hit the he'll hit. It'll be a quick throw. It'll be more like a pop pass type of throw. Could have he'll see two high safeties. The safeties are bailing. Could want to get beat deep. He'll throw it immediate to the to the tight end underneath, like on a on a on a seam route. So it was always beautiful to see a quick a quick ball, and the guy it was always beautiful. So yeah, if y'all can if anyone can get a chance, definitely watch uh, Florida State's uh, a, a few games from last year. You'll be very happy with this offense. And this year, yeah, they're gonna make some noise this year. What's great about them being ACC, I mean, they play against Notre Dame, play against Clemson, but that's pretty much their top competition. So they'll be fighting for Clemson um, when it comes to uh, being, you know, leading the a- ACC. So look out for Florida State. Look out for Jordan Travis. He's he's currently a dark horse for, you know, for the, for the Heisman, like I said earlier, uh, with Caleb Williams, you know, being back. It could be a back-to-back, you know, Archie, Archie Griffin situation, right, where he's back-to-back Heisman Trophy champs. But don't be surprised with Jordan Travis having, you know, another year in his offense. You know, he's entering his fifth season at FSU. So he's ready to kind of, like, tear things up. So, Dan, what is your favorite aspect of this Mike Norvell FSU offense?
0: My favorite aspect is... Alex Atkins, honestly, the uh, Ooh, uh, you know yeah. OC OC uh, offensive O-line. line coach. Yeah, listen, I think he's one of the better coaches in, especially offensive line coaches in the country. I think, I think, when I think back to kind of the end of Jimbo's tenure at Florida State, through some of those lean years, what was the biggest issue with Florida State? their offensive line was a sieve. It was just like they were getting killed up front. And mm-hmm. Alex Atkins has really solidified the offensive line. I would say it's kind of become a strength of their offense. Um, he loves GT counter. They do a lot of cool stuff off of it. He'll, you know, he'll do some stuff with like pitching it to the running back and then the quarterback keeping it on GT counter. The, the Florida game would be a, definitely a good one to watch, some of the diversity of their run game. Uh, as you were mentioning, uh, Rashad as well. Uh, I think he does a really good job. You know, I think I think they're best when they're they're running the football well. I I think Jordan Travis is a he's a very dynamic kind of dual threat. But I don't know if he's necessarily the guy that you want like sitting in the pocket trying to pick people apart. Um, obviously, they have some weapons out there, but. And again, maybe I was seeing a limited sample size, but I I feel like I, I saw a bunch of drops out there too. So I think like I'm hoping they kind of take that next step as an offense. But I think up front, the running back, like you were saying, Trey Benson's special. Uh, Jordan Travis can run the football. He's a threat to run the football. And the offensive line is just better than it's been at Florida State in some time. So when you have a guy like Alex Atkins who is has been there long enough to get Guys in the program developed those guys, and now they're making an impact on the field like i think this is, I think this is maybe the the one team that can compete with, can compete with Clemson in the a c c and i think I think they could have a huge year absolutely and I also think Alex Atkins is not very far off from being a head football coach so i'm I'm a big fan, big fan
1: yeah they're Jake, really, you they're uh
0: a good season do you have any um any thoughts on fsu uh now that you're now that you're a jimbo guy do you have any thoughts on on fsu
2: um i mean i think one fsu in general it's one of those schools where when florida state's good it's good for college football agreed i um i saw espn or whatever put out like a post the other day and it was you know, all the college football helmets, it's like, what's the best college football helmet in football? And, I mean, this is very side conversation here, but I truly think Florida State's helmet has to be the best football helmet in oh, there you college go. football. Oh. I just think it, the gold, the, I don't know, garnet? Yep, call it. Garnet. <laughs> garnet gold. Dude. I mean, dude, just the cleanest football helmet they have. Now, are they kind of messed, gonna... messed it up for... <laughs> a year or two, but it's, it's back to looking pristine. Now, saying, are we going to add
0: this? Are we going to add this to Jake's takes? FSU has the best helmet in college football. Is that,
2: that probably doesn't get on yeah, the board. I, mean, I guess, I guess there could, there could be quite a debate there. I just don't know if you can ever get an official answer, but <laughs> you'd ask me, I think it, you know, so kind of back to my point, I think Florida state being, you know, good is good for college football um you know their win over LSU last year I think really woke people up about them a little bit I think it was kind of like oh Florida State every year we talk about them think Mm -hmm. they're gonna be good they're not you know just like y'all said ever since basically ever since they won the national championship with Jimbo and Jameis Winston I mean obviously they had the following year where You know, they make the playoff, but ever since then, it's kind of just been high expectations with, you know, no results to follow. And so I think this year you're like, okay, now we've actually seen a sample size of what this team can do, and it's can Jordan Travis, uh, Dan, to your point, about him sitting back in the pocket, okay, we know he can scramble around, we know he can make these plays, but when it's a crucial game against Clemson and it's third and 10, and we're down by seven, and we need to drive down the score, can he make those plays, or is it we're limited as an offense to this is really all we can do? And So I think they're really, I mean, as good as their offensive line might be, as good as the running backs might be, as good as the receivers might be, it's really going to be how far can he take them, because at the end of the day, it's a quarterback-driven league. Um, And so I think think you're going to see it early in that Clemson game. I think they play week four against Clemson, and I think it's going to be you know, and it, all, on the road against Clemson, it's going to be a battle. So, I think you'll get a good a good taste of it early of what you're gonna, you know, what you should see from him. And I think there's really no excuses. I mean, you got you got the coordinator, you know, calling the plays. You got the O line. You got all the skilled players around you. Now it's you've got to go out there and do it.
0: We might not even have yeah. to wait for Clemson because they open up with
1: LSU. So. Ooh, really? Yeah.
2: Again? They play each other again this year? Yeah, they're playing in Plano
1: this year. Yeah. I uh, yep.
2: love it. See, that's what's <laughs> good for college football, too. That is good for college football. But let's put
0: LSU to the side for a second. Rashad, you spent some time looking at him. You studied him. Is Florida State knocking off Clemson this year?
1: Ooh. I'll say I'll give the edge of Florida State here's why because Clemson having Garrett Riley's first year being there versus Mike Norvell and um, Alex Akins you know having them kind of been around each other for the past three years right having that continuity on top of having a fifth year senior quarterback who had success last year and once again right he's he right again he's he doesn't have like the the biggest arm, but he has good ant- anticipation and like decent accuracy. Yeah. So I don't know Clemson's defense, but I feel confident with Florida State's offensive line and how big they are. And you, I read you guys all the heights and weights of all the different receivers and running backs and in their linemen. So they ha- they have a shot to uh, to uh, push it. And I in whether that game could be in Tallahassee or in Clemson it comes down to honestly who wants it more right what what program wants to be the program of the ACC right and we'll see we'll see Jake we'll see what happens
2: yeah i think i think that LSU game early in the year win or loss helps them a lot too agreed um, agreed cuz clemson i mean clemson has got nobody on their non-conference schedule so i sorry to say it dan but they played duke week 1 um <laughs> i am a duke uh, i am so, a duke grad <laughs> don't know. If that's you, you just, I don't know. Mike Elko's got Duke moving He's in the right direction. has got so, rolling. Um, but yeah, I just there's not not much of a tune up, I guess you could say, for Clemson before that Florida State game. So as opposed to Florida State getting that challenge week one, and like you said, they've got the continuity. They've got you know a, a fifth year quarterback as opposed to Clemson. They've got some newness. They've got a young quarterback, and then it's like, okay, here all of a sudden, here's your biggest game of the year. Yeah, jump right in. You know, if you lose this game, now you're pretty much two games back in the ACC because you have to hope, you know, Florida State doesn't just lose once but twice, so that you can now go to the ACC championship.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's in uh, it's in Death Valley, so that might help a little bit. That helps a little bit. That always. We'll see Davo running. See Davo running down the hill. one. Be one. We've got the eyes on.
0: Side note: How has nobody torn their ACL running down that hill at Clemson? Someone
2: has to. Have right? to. Some walk somebody, on, right? Somebody has to. Yeah. Something yeah. happened. Yeah. Now you said it. Yeah. Oh geez.
1: <laughs> the speed <laughs> that Dabo runs with, though, as he goes down, is oh, yeah. incredible. I guess yeah. who, who runs faster, Dabo Sweeney or uh, Coach Dabo Sweeney, or Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible? It's like I like to see them race each other. It'd be pretty good. <laughs> and we gotta, we gotta, ch- we gotta, we gotta maybe get get that on the schedule
0: get a little race going or something. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well I don't want to get uh I don't I don't want us to be here all for us all night. We record at night cuz uh, cuz we have kids and they need to sleep and you know, we can only record at night. But you guys are probably listening to this in the morning. I'm going to talk about Washington, but we were also supposed to talk about Tennessee. Petition to make Tennessee their own show because I'm sure we could talk a lot just about Tennessee. I would
2: <laughs> have to hype it for a whole hour. Oh, yeah, right.
0: I think we can we can get the hype. We, we, we can definitely, can definitely table that. I'm down. Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna we'll come back. We'll we'll make sure we get Tennessee talk to you. Um, we'll we'll talk about the and then maybe
2: we, maybe we get the listeners to put out, you know, one other school that they want us. Okay. That's fair. Tennessee and one other, one other wild card. Whoever gets the most response or whatever. Tennessee and a wild
0: card. Okay. Let us know. Shoot us a message on Twitter. Let us know. We'll, we'll pick a wild card to go along with Tennessee. Email. Yes. Come to our house. Don't do that. So (laughs) I got the Washington Huskies and man, I am such a huge Kalen DeBoer fan. He runs an offense that is. I feel like I. I feel like I've said this on several occasions. In doing this show, is just exceptionally fun to watch the offense. Tons of pre snap motion. They run mesh up a, a bunch. They run a bunch of empty. Like, like when I think about the books that I've put together over the past few years, like I. I pretty consistently go back and find something Kalen DeBoer has done that I want to add in. And this goes back to, like, my my fascination with Kalen DeBoer has really gone back to his time at Indiana when he kind of inexplicably got Indiana playing really good football in 20, uh, this would be 2019, 2020. And uh, wouldn't you know, a guy named Michael Penix Jr. was his quarterback at Indiana. And, you know, I think started six games each year maybe, and they were... Five and he was five and one. So as as a as a quarterback each year, um, you know, put up some some really impressive numbers. And again, Indiana is typically kind of a basement team in the in the Big Ten. But between Deborah what DeBoer does offensively and what Michael Penix Jr.'s skill set is, they put together some pretty pretty tough teams at Indiana. And then in 2021, DeBoer accepts the head coaching job at Fresno State, which he had, I believe, come from Fresno. He had some connection, I think, with Fresno State. So he takes over at Fresno State. And it was like Michael Penix Jr. was in purgatory that year in Indiana. He had more – more. I, I think he had more interceptions than touchdowns. He might have gotten injured. I mean, like, the wheels fell off for Indiana. And I think everybody, like, just randomly thought Michael Penix Jr. was, a, like, a bum. And this is, I think, the beauty of the transfer portal. And it goes back back even, even more so to, you know, the, the uh, Play Callers Club account we tweeted out. The relationship between a quarterback and an offensive play caller is literally – one of the most important relationships in, in all of sports, period. Not just football, all of sports, period. Because it is a complete game changer. You're talking about a guy who everybody wrote off, and everybody was kind of like, "Wait, why did they take Michael Penix Jr. over the Fresno State quarterback um, Jake Hayner? You know, why didn't why didn't they go get Hayner to come to to Washington? And then Penix goes out there and absolutely lights the world on fire." you know, well over 4,000 yards passing 31 touchdowns just tears it up. And I think it just speaks to the power of that relationship between a play caller and a quarterback. And Ryan Grubb is, is a part of that as well. I I think he, um, you know, he's, he's the offensive coordinator. I, I know that those two work really closely together, DeBoer and Grubb, they're very close friends and work well together. And then you have, 2,000-yard receivers coming back in uh, Adunze and McMillan, I believe. Did I say that right? Did I get that right, Rashad? You were coaching me up on that.
1: You got it. You got, I it. got it. Perfectly. Nice.
0: nice. Uh, and, and a solid backfield, good tight end. But when I watch Kalen DeVore offenses, he spreads the love as well as any OC that I've studied. Everybody gets touches. Everybody seems happy. The running backs get involved in the pass game. The receivers are getting you know jet sweeps and screens. You know he just spreads the football out so effectively, and you're seeing the ability to create matchups. Again, like like I said, they run they run a lot of mesh. They run a lot of crossing routes. They run a lot of play action boot. Um, the run game is is solid, but again, it just the whole offense I feel like just fits together really well and i would i was kind of shocked to be honest that the washington huskies were able to pull out an 11 and 2 record in year one year one is tough but i also think that that the system they run is just really well taught and the the players seem like they were able to pick it up really quickly and you see a lot of switch releases at the line of scrimmage you see a lot of uh, you see a lot of everything. I mean, it, it. I think it presents a lot of challenges for the defense because there, there's no one player where you're like. It, it kind of goes back to our conversation about Clemson yesterday, where we talked about. You know, we put our best receiver into the boundary and we throw a back shoulder fade to him. That is the antithesis of Kalen DeBoer's offense. He is moving players around everywhere. And you're not necessarily able to get a bead on, hey, we're just going to bracket this dude. Because you, you you can't do that. They're in constant motion. So I think this is, uh, this is a really good offense with a really good quarterback and a, an exceptional receiving core and a coaching staff that is in lockstep with a quarterback. And I think that is invaluable. And so I expect big things out of Washington. I... I cannot express to you enough how important I think it is for you to watch Washington play this year. Like if you if you didn't get a chance to watch them last year, watch him this year. When you think about the Pac-12, everybody talks about USC and they might talk about Oregon. Watch Washington. It is literally the most fun offense to watch if you if you're a football nerd. I promise you you won't be disappointed. It's a great Pac-12 offense.
2: Pac twelve after dark. <laughs> you got Turn to. it on.
0: And and I think I I do have a little bit of beef with just kind of the the narrative right now about the the Pac-12 because the conference itself is struggling so much. They don't have a TV deal. You know, it just seems like a mess from a organizational perspective, but the quality of football in that conference is, is through the roof right now. Um, I'm not saying it will always be this way, but you've got some of the best quarterbacks in the nation. I I also like Bo Nix at Oregon. I think he's going to do well. Mm -hmm. I think Kenny Dillingham is going to get Arizona state rolling. I think, Obviously, we talked about Caleb Williams. You talked about Utah and how good they are. Like the Pac-12, if it maybe had a little bit better branding, um, everybody would be talking about the Pac-12 right now. All and I saw somebody
2: think we, say today, if you slapped the ACC logo on the Pac-12, people would be looking at it a lot different. I mean, that I think that's right
0: on. I think that's right on, and I, I think I think it's ridiculous that we're not talking enough about the Pac-12. But if you're if there's Obviously, we're all going to watch Lincoln Riley and watch what he does at USC. But if there's one other team to watch in the Big tw- in the Pac-12, it's it's Washington. And a uh, huge fan of of what they're doing. And I'm glad they kept the band together, man. I know, I know. Maybe potentially Jimbo was after Ryan Grubb. Maybe Saban yeah, was after Ryan I Grubb. Mm-hmm. I think. And it, and it's because it's such a good offense. You watch it; it is such a good offense. Like, period. I just can't say it enough and there's a reason that he was getting pursued by all these these big time coaches and I'm really glad he stayed cuz I think they got something special and uh, I would expect them to absolutely light it up on offense this year. So that's my that's my stump speech for Washington.
2: Yeah, it's I mean Washington, USC, the entire conference. I mean like you said, I don't think there's at least preseason wise, there's not a better quarterback conference going to this year. I mean, there might be guys that, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns out there, but as far as like what's coming back, I mean, it's gotta be the best quarterback conference as far as just pure production. And I mean, I think Penix has to be, I mean, if he's not on your Heisman list, you're, you're insane. the, The things that that dude was doing last year were incredible. and, who did they beat in their bowl game? Does anybody remember? Texas. I can't oh, okay. remember. Was it a school in like Austin or something? <laughs> I just had to make sure that we put that in there.
0: No, I mean, I think I think like Sark does get, and rightfully so, gets a lot of publicity as kind of an offensive genius and obviously spending time in the NFL and then what he did at, at Alabama. That's It's all good publicity. And again, well-deserved. But you watch that game and it's like, who who who's dialing it up better at this point you know i was like shoot washington looks crisp less talent way less talent mm-hmm. and crisp like crisp and so i'm i i feel like i should just stop saying it but i'm just such a huge fan and i i think i think the the nation will hopefully wake up to this team I think that at Michigan State game could be a fun one it's like you go in you go into East Lansing you beat Michigan State okay now we're now we're talking and now we have you know at USC in November that we're really you know looking at so I would love, love, love nothing more than to see an undefeated Washington and undefeated USC matchup. I mean, we take
2: a trip out to SoCal and I mean, at this wherever. point,
0: I'm at this point. That's like a game I'd be at, right? Like I, I don't know, we can't because we're in season, but that's that's a game to go to, and and I, I really hope we have two two teams that are ready to rock and roll
2: when we. When I we think play. that's like, I, I think you diving into them too is kind of one of the reasons behind the show, right? Like. Get maybe a school that, you know, it's not like a low-level school like you're never going to see this team on TV. But it's like, hey, they will be on your TV at some point, right? And yeah. go take a look at them and go realize how that, that's quality football that you're watching. No like that's you're not just watching a bunch of scrubs. You're not watching a bunch of coordinators that don't know what they're talking about. Like you're watching high-quality, well-coached, well, well I and mean, good players playing really good football and if we can get more people to, you know, it's just like the Heisman voting conversation is like the regional and like half the people aren't even watching that. I mean, obviously Caleb Williams, it's impossible not to see him, but it's like half the people aren't even watching the PAC 12 anymore. It's like, there's, there's a good brand of football regardless. And they're overcome, like you said, overcoming a conference that isn't really doing much for them. Not at all. No. It's, it, I, I mean, you, you got to appreciate what, what
1: they're doing over there.
2: Yeah. This the is, games.
1: Uh, go ahead, Rashad. You got it. Yeah, and, the, and the games are, you know, games are also late, right? You know, mm-hmm. a 7 p.m. game in yep. Seattle, it's 10 p.m. East Coast. So most people are up watching games, you know, at noon, right? So by the time 10 p.m. rolls around, yep. uh, they, they don't really, you know, feel though so It's important to watch a pack 12 after dark game, right? But we watch Center the next day. A lot of highlights come from Pac-12 games. A lot of big plays come from those games, right? Because of um, their offenses, and I one thing I was thinking as we we're talking about the quarterback play in a Pac-12, I'll guarantee you that Alabama will take one of those quarterbacks right now. So right, they will take they, they will take one of those guys, right? That's,
2: I, I was gonna say Michael <laughs> Penix reminds me a lot of Tua, honestly.
1: Oh man, obviously that's not the left
2: handed, yeah. obviously the left handed thing, but a, I just, yeah. the way he distributes the ball to people, it's like. He is and, and the accuracy that post-move. he's, I don't, I mean, if I just had to throw out a number, I'd guess that he's a seventy percent plus guy. I could be completely wrong. Yeah, no, he's
0: he's got to be close to it, and and it's not like it's dink and dunk stuff either. I mean, he throws the ball down the field. He's super accurate. Big body receivers that can make plays. And here's here's a question for you guys as we kind of close out today's show. If you're someone like Kalen DeBoer is Washington a destination job because it it strikes me that a lot of these west coast guys is it a is it a is it an upgrade to go to an SEC school or is the only real upgrade for a a west coast coach to go to the NFL yes.
1: so NFL or SEC that's what we're Figuring out. Well, I mean, obviously, the NFL is the NFL, but
0: (laughs) would would you leave a a place like Washington if you're Mm. if you're getting paid well, obviously, to take an SEC job?
2: I guess my only question would be, would you get an NFL head coaching job from Washington?
0: That's a good question.
2: I don't know. I mean, I mean, now if you're talking about. You know, you get Washington in the top five or in the college football playoffs this year, you know, it's a real discussion. But if you can never crack that, you know, that ceiling, then do you, I mean, does it take another, you know, if your ultimate dream is the NFL, I mean, who knows if his is, but does it take another step of going to, you know, Say A and M has a terrible year this year, and they saying we want to pay Jimbo's seventy million dollar payout. Like, <laughs> hey, they're good for it. You know that. And get a you you get know, a couple more ranches. <laughs> do, do you go take that job? And that's you know you're gonna get paid pretty well. And is that a good enough job? Or like you said, you're you know in a great place, great location out in Washington. Is that just somewhere you stick around because things are going well and? you know that if you have one bad year, you're not going to just get fired right away.
0: Yeah, and, and I think part of the reason I asked the question is because, and again, I'd have to go back and like actually think about it and look into it more, but guys going from maybe being career on the West Coast for the most part to going down to like a an Auburn, Alabama or somewhere like that, are you – immediately kind of an outsider, outcast, not accepted by the fan base, the boosters, you're speaking a different language, you're not necessarily kind of the good old boy type. It'd be interesting to think through that. Uh, Can you speak the language if you're a West Coast guy transplanting into the SEC versus the NFL is, you know, it's a professional environment. Again, not easy by any means, but I think – it's it's less important that you're yeah. regionally based.
1: Yeah, I mean the, the component that you're you're kind of saying without saying is the boosters, right? And you know when it comes to being a West Coast guy or even a Northeast guy going into SEC, if you're a dynamic personality, you can compete with boosters. But if they have it against you, no matter what school you're at, right? If they have it against you no matter if they have it against you already. Like you're kind of like dead to rights <laughs> day one being there. No you know, doubt. Well he's an outsider. He's not you know, he's not from the South, so he doesn't understand like, you know, our values, our cultures, right? So um when it comes to choosing staying on the West Coast as a head coach versus going to SEC as a head coach or versus going to NFL, the question you gotta ask yourself is, do I want longevity or do I want championships? If mm-hmm. I want longevity, I'm gonna stay here in the West Coast at Washington, it's obviously something in Lake Washington because Geno Smith had a great season, so did Michael Penix Jr. So there's something going on with Lake Washington. We need to something, something's good. You figure that out. Something's going on there, right? So it's kind of like enjoy life in Lake, Lake Washington, enjoy life uh, in Washington, and uh, and win you know eight nine, win nine to eleven games each year. Go to a Rose Bowl, might make it to the playoff. Really don't like get to the top because you may not have them the, the, enough talent to compete with Big Ten, SEC guys, right? Or is it okay, I'm gonna go to CC, leave this lifestyle that's kind of I can't say comfortable, but like leave that longevity with less pressure to win, or go to a boiler plate where you're at a Auburn, where you're at a Alabama, where you're at a LSU where it's like you're expected by year three to win at least a championship, right? Right. So it's right. all it's all based off like what your vibes are, right? And uh, NFL, as you know, is more a different environment, so I guess the answer to your question it just goes to like what's your motivation, right? Or like when it comes yeah. to buying a product, it's like what's your buying motive? Is your buying motive convenience? Is it price? <laughs> like what is right. it, right? So it's kind of right. like what's your coaching motive, right? Is it are you do you just love ball? Or you love coaching and you, like you want to win a championship, but you don't wanna, you don't really care to win every win one every year. Okay, say in Washington, but if you're like I gotta compete for one for every year, I gotta. Or if you're like if you're that, that coach that kind of has that like. Superhero mindset where you're like, "All right, I'm Spider Man. I need a different enemy of the week, right? <laughs> <laughs> I need one of those, right? So if you have that mindset, you got to be an SEC, right? Because you that's how you achieve, compete for champ, compete for championships,
2: no doubt. Uh, I think it's it really goes back to like winning trumps all. Mm-hmm. But it is it is funny. I mean, LSU is like a perfect example because they had Ed Orzron who is like could not be a more perfect fit at LSU.
1: Perfect fit, yeah.
2: But then, you know, all of a sudden, two years after probably one of the greatest seasons of all time, he's out. Yep. And then you bring in a guy that, say what you (laughs) want about Brian Kelly, is like a football guy through and through. And the guy comes down to Louisiana and is faking a Cajun accent. To (laughs) Dan's point, trying to fit in, you know, to so he's not an outsider, right? right? Like, he's... He knows, like the, he knows how important it is to have that, you know, that that look, that sound of. Yep. It, but at the end of the day, you can clown them all you want. They won the SEC West this year, so yeah. No doubt. You know, Brian Kelly's riding high, and if they, you know, they continue to recruit well, they continue to win. Nobody cares. But it's also like your window. I think to Dan's point, is that much smaller when you are an outsider. So yeah. If you're going to make that leap, it better be somewhere where you know that you can win and you can win fast
1: and you can get the right guys in there. Because if not, you're going to be
2: gone, you know, in an instant.
1: Yeah, if you you, you go there, you got to have your Caleb Williams in your back pocket. knowing you're going there, right? You're like, hey, (laughs) (laughs) I got a guy. I'm ready. You know, you you don't have that. You can't mess around
0: with the (laughs) quarterback position. That's, That's one of the things in talking with these guys on the recruiting trail when they've come through Houston. You know, I've probably 10 different coaches have said, if you miss on a quarterback, you're in trouble. In trouble. Mm-hmm. Like you are in trouble. So, you know, everything else you might be able to get away with some stuff, but if you miss on a quarterback, you're in trouble. So it just, it just ramps up the pressure, not only on coaches now, but also on those young quarterbacks trying to figure out their way in the world and, mm-hmm. uh, and trying to figure out how to make plays. Cause same thing that's happening to coaches is happening to quarterbacks. If you don't figure it out in year one or year two, you are packing your bags and on to the next
2: stuff. Game one or game two, sometimes. Yeah, no, actually, though. Actually, that leash is getting shorter and shorter. shorter and
0: shorter. So, no, that's good stuff. Well, we'll be back with Tennessee soon. Again, we could, we could talk all day and all night about this stuff. We love it. And uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying the podcast as well. If you are, please do us a favor. Throw a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave a comment, share, YouTube, different things like that. Um, it all helps helps us grow, helps us continue to bring you great, high-quality content uh, for, throughout the whole football season and into the off-season as well. But we appreciate everybody listening and all the support, and we'll be back soon. Appreciate you guys.
2: Victory.